0: So it seems that there's a lot of attention these days being given to plans and goals of one kind or another. There are business plans, and organizational strategic plans, or municipal citywide comprehensive plans, and plans for peace in the Middle East and for managing the crisis at the border or for addressing climate change. High school and college students looking to graduate in a few months this spring are constantly being asked about the plans and goals they have for their lives. At another point in the life spectrum, folks in pre- and post-retirement are similarly asked about their plans and goals for what's often called the third chapter of their lives. People of faith will wonder and pray about God's plan for their lives. When daily life can feel so overwhelming, or when everything feels like it's supposed to be a priority, how can it make sense to make plans or have goals, let alone to live with intention into some sense of vocation or calling or meaning or purpose? I'm Chris Johnson. Welcome to another episode of Pause, Purpose, and Possibility My guest this time is the wise and delightful doctor Danielle McGee, founder and host of the podcast Plan Goal Plan. She talks with me about reimagining what goal setting and planning can be. She invites people to step into their full potential in a way that both gives them energy and joy and calls forth mindfulness and presence in the here and now. Noting that women underestimate their capabilities by 50% as compared to men, and even more so among women of color, Danielle makes the case that planning and goal setting needs room for adaptability, resilience, and emergence. It needs to fuel an expansive imagination that taps into the deep yearnings and callings within us. You want to learn how to plan? You want to hang out with some moms, she says, and goes on to describe playfulness as key to the relationship between parenting, planning and goal setting, leadership, and, wait for it, improv theater. Dr. Danielle McGew is a professor, mom, business owner, community volunteer, and organization junkie, she says. On the faculty of the University of Northern Iowa in Cedar Falls, Iowa, she has more than 18 years of experience in teaching and a real knack for guiding people as they learn about themselves. She started Plan, Goal, Plan to help working moms gain clarity on who they are and on what matters. And trust me, it's accessible and meaningful to everyone. She says of her podcast, Plan, Goal, Plan, that, quote, The idea of crafting a life that included meaningful work and magical moments with my family and friends felt so out of reach. I wanted magic and meaning, and I wanted to get there with an ethic of care, vulnerability, and courage. At the intersection of research, practice, and play, I found a path to planning and goal setting that is fun, simple, and sustainable. Unquote. Enjoy this glimpse into the wisdom and delight that is Danielle McGue. My friend and inspiration in so many ways, Danielle McGue is with us today, and uh, I'm just so tickled. Uh, this podcast is happening in no small measure because of Danielle McGue, and she's been teaching me how to do it and uh, always with such a spirit of warmth and enthusiasm and grace and hospitality and uh, and excitement and so I am excited in turn to have you with me today Danielle so welcome
1: well thank you I'm I'm so excited to be here I, I as soon as you told me that, I like have inspired you. I like immediately welled up in a really geeky way uh, because, (laughs) you know, you have been um, so instrumental to me sort of navigating my way through this wild world and um, and stepping into, I think, much of my own potential. And so it is a joy to be here. And I'm so grateful that you have unleashed your unique voice into the world. Um, so thank
0: you. Thank you. Wow. Bless your heart. Thank you. Uh, I will of course, uh, have, uh, some show notes about you and this episode, but, um, that people can read and get a sense of who you are and so on. But I, I, I have found myself inviting people who are kind enough to be with me in these, uh, at little adventures to in your own way, tell us a little bit about who you are. What do you want people to know about you? Um, who do you know yourself to be these days?
1: Ah, well, these days, I think I'm in a process of growing and evolving. Um, so exciting. Who knows where I'll be in a, a few weeks or a few months? Love um, it. love it. You know, so I'm definitely in a season, a season of mothering. Um, I have two small kiddos. They're six and eight, and they are wild and wonderful and hilarious. And teaching me a lot about life and being present and creating joy. Oh, they're the most joyful weirdos. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> spectacular. And, uh, you know, I am a full-time professor at the University of Northern Iowa, where I teach in kind of a bunch of different areas. So my degree is in communication and media, but I teach in, a, in an area called performance studies, where I am really fascinated with ways that we can use creative forms of communication to engage in problem solving and community building and more recently I've always been interested in social change um and more recently I'm really interested in personal transformation and so I'm trying to step into an identity of um I've been trying this on a little bit, but like a world-class thought leader in the area of personal transformation, that sounds like wildly audacious to say out loud. Um, And I don't sort of say that to brag, but to say that, to give myself permission to step into that identity so that I can serve others in that capacity. Um, So I'm, I'm a... Aspiring podcaster. I've been podcasting for about a year now. I have a podcast called Plan, Goal, Plan. um, And I work with, you know, working moms that, you know, want to be as passionate about their personal lives as they have been about their professional lives. And I help them do that through a holistic and women centered approach to goal setting and planning. And I, it's been such a joy to sort of step in to a new way of teaching and I think that's something that you taught me Chris is to go to think about vocation mm-hmm. as something that transcends a particular role that you're in so to think about teaching as something that of course I do in the classroom but how am I teaching in my leadership positions with other faculty how am I teaching in my podcast how am I teaching in my one-on-one coaching sessions and so You know, I think that's something that was really inspired by work that I had done with you, um, is to really expand what maybe I consider vocation and how vocation is performed or done on a daily basis.
0: Wow. Thank you for that. There's so much there. Um, can you say a little bit more about, um, the connection between personal transformation and social change? since you spoke about having hearts for each of them, how are they linked?
1: Well, you know, I think that I'm still trying to tease some of that out. So, you know, for years I was studying social change. I'm, you know, performance studies, if I had to explain it in a nutshell, it's sort of it's anthropology meets theater, and <laughs> so, Yeah, you know, and so how does, you know, I've always been really interested in culture and storytelling and I've been fascinated in identity and sometimes that's group identity and sometimes that's personal identity. And at one point I was teaching a performance and social change class where I was, you know, really interested in creative modes of communication that people use to, you know, gather people together to make a point on something, right? So maybe it's something fun like flash mobs oh. or, you know, just really creative. You know, now we might think about TikTok videos or different ways that we garner attention and and use really creative forms of expression to do that. And at some point when I was teaching this performance and social change class, I realized that my students, I needed them to understand what they were asking of other people when it came to change, Mm -hmm. right? That change changes, you know, can be really exciting, but it also can be really hard and it can come with an experience of grief or loss. And so if they're going to, you know, create an event, create a performance and ask a whole group of people to shift their position, they needed to do that in a place where they honored sort of, what they were asking people to do. And at that point, I created a series of assignments that asked them to engage in some personal change. So actually, one of them was called like artsy fartsy me or something, you know, really <laughs> academic you like that. And, <laughs> and what I asked them to do is every single day, I want you to do something artsy fartsy, you get to determine what artsy fartsy uh-huh. means. And we talked about how hard is it for you to create 10 minutes a day for you to do something artsy fartsy. This is something you chose that you love doing that is you expressing yourself and you're still struggling to do it for 10 minutes every single day. And and I created that assignment um, because I wanted them to understand if that's if that's that hard for them what is it that they're asking people to do? And so it, it came from a place where I really wanted them to have some empathy mm-hmm. before engaging in some of these other tactics of social change. Um, and, you know, now I'm seeing all sorts of threads between ways that we engage in social change and ways that personal transformation happens too. And of course, you know, in a lot of ways, too, I think that if we aren't well as individuals, if we don't, if we aren't taking care of ourselves to sort of step into these larger roles of creating impact that, you know, ripples across many identities and many people, we have to, we have to be well ourselves yeah. in order to do that. And so I I think that I'm excited for all of the connections, all of the dots of connection that I have made. And I'm going to continue to make as I think I continue the work that I'm doing.
0: And what more can you tell us about the work that you're doing? Plan, goal plan is the podcast. Where did it come well, from? So what does it look at? Um,
1: yeah, it, it sort of connects to when I first met you. Huh. So um So I first met Chris, he was leading and facilitating a leadership academy, a provost leadership academy at the University of Northern Iowa. And I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to be part of the group. And at the time I was, I was on the struggle bus. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like I was in a tough, tough place when this opportunity came about, Um, I had just had my second kiddo. So I think I had a two year old and an infant. Um, my back was my, technically my pelvis was slipping out of place. Um, I was in that space where I was really trying to negotiate what my relationship was to work as a parent to two kids. And I wanted I love the work that I do and I wanted to be able to show up and be amazing, but I was tired and my back hurt and I had no idea who I was anymore. And I didn't know what I wanted to be spending my time on and what I was good at. And, you know, I, I was also, I had just earned tenure. And and so it was like this point in my life where I've been working towards that goal my entire adult life. And I kind of, I accomplished it. and. I had no idea what was next and I, it was kind of hard to decide, well, what things am I doing because this is what you should do and what sort of things am I doing? Because that's really what I'm called or passionate about, or this is in my, you know, zone of genius, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so as I was going through the leadership Academy with you, you had us doing these like beautiful readings um, about leadership and adaptive leadership and really you know, inspired by Parker Palmer's work. And at the same time, I was reading books on focus because I was so tired and I just needed to get my life together and do list. I think I read like three books on to do list. And I would have these moments. uh, I'm a huge fan of Krista Tippett in the On Being Mm -hmm. podcast. In fact, like I feel like interacting with you, I was like, you are a real life Krista Tippett, you know, to, <laughs> you know, like, you know how to ask those really brilliant questions. And um, I kept going, like, what would it be like to have, you know, some of the structure of like goal setting and to-do lists or planning, but like the presentness and the mindfulness and the intentionality that I'm getting from Chris. And I think those things kind of happen together in a way that I started to go, I can use these tools of planning and goal setting in a way that I'm going to set some delightful goals. I'm going to set a goal to go down the lazy river 63 times with my kids this summer. And I'm going to, you know, set goals to have a delightful lunch with a friend where we just pay attention to each other. And I'm going to plan in a way that is both thinking about the future, but always in relationship to the past and the present. So I'm going to plan in a way that isn't just future oriented, but is informed by the lessons that we're constantly learning. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm like, I'm just trying to put these things together and Help people reimagine what goal setting and planning can be. And um, I just want people to step into their full potential. I want people to like, you know, show up somewhere and go, I'm world class at, I don't uh, know, decluttering my house. I like, and just be able to step into that um and step into their full potential in a way that gives them energy and gives them delight and joy and calls forth mindfulness and presence. Uh-huh.
0: I love the connections that you're weaving here, Danielle, between planning, goal setting, and living with intention into who you believe yourself to be called to be uh, in the world, uh, for yourself, for those you touch and beyond. Uh, That strikes me as Really profoundly qualitatively different from uh, kind of a a transactional technical checklist approach to planning and goal setting, which is just about putting checks in boxes and, um, I don't know, making more money or uh, uh, sort of feeding the voracious appetite of. White supremacist capitalism, if I yeah. can draw with with uh, big brush strokes. Um, so that's what the, am I first am I hearing you correctly? Absolutely. That, that what you're doing is an antidote to that sort of way of being in the world. Uh, you, you use language about women centered mm-hmm. um, uh, So I'll just own my own unfortunate, In many ways, identity is a white, 60-year-old, heterosexual, middle-class male. Uh, But I also like to think of myself as uh, anti-racist and Mm -hmm. a feminist and so on and so on. But I also recognize I still have a lot to learn. (laughs) Uh, And to draw on, I think it's Robert Keegan, a sociologist from Harvard that talks about we don't know What we don't know. So, as the person I am, uh, what is it that I don't know, Danielle, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, about how to live a life of intention or calling that does also include attention to things like planning and goal setting? Yeah. Um, That was a very convoluted question. Thanks for saying earlier that I asked good questions because that. That wasn't one of them, but um, uh, it, what I'm trying to get at is that there's, there's something about what you're describing, about the work that you do, the passions that you hold, uh, com- linking personal transformation and social change in a way that helps people be uh, specific about how they want to live into uh, their true selves, their whole selves, for the sake of the common good. Uh, so I'm going to stop talking now and get out of the way and let you run with whatever you think you might've heard in any of that.
1: Well, so I, I think the first thing that emerges for me is that, you know, calling what I'm doing women-centered is kind of new for me. Oh. And I don't know right now if that's the exact right label, you know, language is slippery. <laughs> and, yeah, sure. and so Part of the reason that I'm drawn to it though is so recently I was reading a a study that said that women underestimate their capabilities Hmm. by 50%. Oh my gosh. As compared to men, even when they have the same credentials. And for women of color, it's even more. Wow. And so one of the things that I think about is okay, so if I'm going to help people set goals, how do I do that differently for women yeah. who are already going to set goals below what is that like? they are fully capable of? So how do I first, you know, like that's part of the reason I introduce myself so audaciously. It's not it's not because like I, uh-huh. I like, you know, I'm still I don't know that I fully feel confident stepping into that identity, but I want to. Right. And I want others To sort of feel comfortable, especially other women, to feel comfortable introducing themselves in that way. Where they can yearn and they can voice those yearnings. The other thing is, you know, so there are some studies that maybe suggest what we would need is to first just believe that we're capable and what we imagine we could set ourselves up to do needs to be more expansive and then the other thing is is you know we might look at some of the ways in which goal setting in particular as a practice has been done so using a lot of mass we might associate with masculine traits mm. I don't, you know, so it's very structured. It might be rigid. You might set a five-year plan and then you stick with it. And if you don't, you failed, right? Mm -hmm. I'm trying to imagine goal setting instead as, you know, both and. What if it is structured and built into that structure is adaptability and flexibility? And what if instead of a five-year plan, your goals are emergent?
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And... What if the ways that we come to our goals isn't just through an intellectual thought process, but also tapping into our yearnings and our deepest desires and paying attention to how our body responds when we claim an identity that feels new to us or to recognize sort of the spiritual callings that are within us. And so for me, I think that it's, shifting our relationship to these practices. Now what's interesting is with planning is like I'm always like you want to learn how to plan like hang out with some hang out with some moms. <laughs> like <you know? laughs> yes. like their meal planning, yes. they're like they're trying to figure out where everybody's got to be all the time. And you know, but even planning, I think you know, I've spoken with so many, I work with mostly women, not but not all women. Um, because I think, as you can see, some of the things that I'm talking about, and this is why I'm maybe resistant to fully calling it women centered, because while uh-huh. I think it's inspired by some of the needs of women and is embracing some feminine qualities, it's not necessarily just for women. Right. And you know, I also, you know, it's for it's for men, it's for non binary folks but I've worked with so many women for whom even planning is such a space of failure. So they set plans and then things don't go as planned and it's just discouraging. And yet like a lot of times I want to go, you just made amazing adaptations Mm -hmm. to respond to the, current situation in a way that was also caring for yourself and others how is that a failure and so how do we re restructure the way that we see planning so that yes we're kind of creating plans but also that we recognize that it is this iterative and emergent process that's constantly sort of happening. And so when you make adaptations, when you have a migraine and so you choose to rest instead of exercise, that's not a failure.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That it's a, it's a you, it's a brilliant use of you adapting to the needs of the situation. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, Kind
0: of what I'm up to. That's just brilliant. Talk about, and I said uh, early on about how what an inspiration you are. So thank you for that. And you acknowledge just then about that their life is what it is, and that plans and goals and intentions and aspirations and dreams and visions that we have don't always uh, pan out, right? Um, So, what's your own experience, or in the experience, not violating confidences or anything, but in people, the stories of people that you've worked with, what the what has been emerging for you about? What happens when goals and plans fail or when we do fall short of intentions? Then what?
1: Then what? I think that this is really quite a tender um, subject, I think, mm-hmm. because there's, so there's another study that I recently read that talks about the way in which when these, I'm going to call them oopses, happen. Uh-huh. good right when these oopses happen women tend that there's there's research to show that women tend to make meanings of those incidents as this is how I am in a very fixed mindset sort uh-huh. of thing yeah
0: yeah
1: and and much more frequently than men do so how do we recognize the oopses as an experience that we have as opposed to something that we are yeah and you know i think we've kind of joked about you know oh it's a learning opportunity <laughs> you know um how do you how do you also shift you know how do you go hey everything that's happening to me is happening to align me in a way uh-huh. That moves me closer to my fullest potential, uh-huh. and so then anything that happens is happening on your behalf, right? And is happening in service of you, and it's to to use, you know, I use reflective reflective processes as part of my you know daily and weekly planning, so that I can look at those oopses and you know, go, well, what have I learned from this? How do I want to, how do I want to move forward from this? But I also think that, you know, I've been thinking a lot about consistency, and it's come up with in a lot of conversations. And I'm like, trying to redefine consistency as less about like, oh, I'm going to exercise x amount of times this week, or like, whatever, I'm going to write this many times a week. And to really think about consistency is just us trying to close the gap between an oops and trying again. So how do I, I close the gap so that each time I, the distance between my oops and me starting again is a little bit smaller. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I would say that I do think that what happens a lot is people do make plans. And then when they don't go as planned they interpret that as a failure. And so then they let go of that as a tool yeah. and rather than using the tool as a way to reframe the relationship to what's happening. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, have already told us that you yourself are a working mom of mm-hmm. did you see a six and eight year old mm-hmm. yeah. um what more do you want to tell us about your life as their mom uh how what do you notice that they are noticing uh about the world about themselves about you as you live into what it is <laughs> you're describing to us today uh yeah what's What's your own life as mom teaching you?
1: Oh, God. What are you teaching them? When when you first, you know, asked me the question, the first thing that I thought of is like, oh, we've got so much potty talk going on here. <laughs> um, my kids, <laughs> kids are definitely in a phase where they are very interested in bodies and bodily <laughs> movements. Yep, yep. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I think that, one of the things that I've really been thinking about is so like in my coaching practice, I really try to think about how do I create um and I'm I'm taking this from a woman, um Claire Zamet, who does some women-centered coaching, and she talks about creating a growth container for your clients. And so one of the things that I've been sort of thinking about and is how is my family a growth container? And how do I how do I think about my family space as a place for growth? And so, you know, I do think that, oh, my kids probably, they're going to be so annoyed as teenagers, but, you know, I do try (laughs) to reframe things as, you know, okay, that's, you know, that's not a failure. You didn't mess up. How, how might we also, how can we just learn from that? And, you know, um, you know, help them sort of Learn the skills of interpreting what I guess is happening in their lives. And, you know, the other thing is, is they get to see me um really working to step into some things I felt called to do for a while. And I think I have been uh-huh. running away from them because it's a little bit scary. And you know, they also love seeing me podcast. The you know, Ada made a little computer out of tin foil and then had like a little microphone that she wow. made and I came in and she's like, um, mom, I'm podcasting, or I'm on a cast now, is what she says. <laughs> I'm on a cast now. Oh, and so, beautiful. you know, I do think like I want I want my kids to you know step into their greatness. And uh-huh. I need to be able to model that, you know, cause I know all day long, you can tell people stuff but like, you know, you gotta, you gotta show up and do the things that you want them to do. And, you know, I think about that at work all the time too, as a, as a teacher and a professor that, you know, if I want my students to develop a healthy relationship to work, whew, then I gotta, mm-hmm. I gotta step it up. I need to have a healthy relationship to work. Like I can't, we are not going to all be unhealthy in our relationship to our jobs and then expect that we're creating a generation of healthy workers, right? Like Mm, and so you know, I think that um yeah it's been it's really been fun. And then of course like we set we set family bucket lists for each season. Oh fun. And so and then uh I have like a little sheet that I put on our refrigerator each month. So you know this month it was if it snows we're gonna go sledding. And, uh-huh. you know, they have, you know, that's how we ended up going around the lazy river. I want to say like 90 sometimes this summer, <laughs> and, you know, they're like, you know, mom, we got some things that we need to put on the list. And it might be like, we're going to drink hot cocoa, you know, six times this month. And um, in some ways it's teaching them to int- intentionally be creators of joy.
0: Oh, it's beautiful. So, again, I'm getting the sense that um, your work, your way of being in the world are countercultural. Uh, they're unconventional. Uh, and it isn't just a rigid set of, again, boxes to check. But there's there's room for flexibility, spontaneity, adaptability, uh, space, spaciousness, expansive imagination, so on and so on. And that brings to mind uh, one of the things I've um, – uh, been able to bear witness to you shining in, is uh, introducing our colleagues in the Leadership Academy that you mentioned earlier to a little bit of improv. Uh, mm-hmm. So I wonder what, what more you can riff on for us today around the relationship between parenting, leadership, Ooh. Uh, planning, and goal setting and improv how do they all live together dance together
1: so i mean i think that for me the thread that holds all of those things together is play Uh right and that there is like it is both and it is both um preparation and spontaneity right so like even improv you practice right? Huh. You have to You have unpack to, that
0: for us a little bit.
1: Well, so you have to get together and practice being spontaneous with each uh-huh.
0: other,
1: right? Okay. Like, you know, and, and it's awkward. <laughs> and it's, you know, you aren't great at it right away. And, but you do it through a lot of play. And, you know, I do think that I, you know, for me, it took me a lot of work in the leadership academy to think of myself as a leader. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, I'm an oldest child, so I'm good at being bossy. But I think <laughs> that in terms of like being a leader, I was like, but I'm so playful and I'm quirky and I'm kind of weird. And, you know, especially as an academic, I sometimes feel like very woohoo, loosey-goosey, dippity You know, like artsy fartsy, artsy fartsy. (laughs) That you know, I'm like, well, how how can I, you know, be a leader and to actually think about playfulness? Yes, as a huge resource. Yes, in terms of leadership, in terms of how playfulness invites relate a different relationship, in terms of the way that playfulness invites innovation and you know creativity and Mm -hmm. um you know but play play is still scary you know like play is it's awkward sometimes and you know and not I, I love Brene Brown has like a riff on play where she talks about you know what is play for some people is not play for other people You know, like I do not like board games and I feel like I should be a board game lover and I just am not. But I will do it for my family, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and and I think that, you know, like learning what is play for you. Is so incredibly helpful, and I think that one of the ways that you can do that is by having a practice of continual reflection and creating intentionally spaces for play in your life.
0: So you may remember that my wife, Kim, is a pediatric physical therapist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things I've heard her say over the decades that I've known her is that play is the vocation of a child. Mm-hmm. And that just strikes me as so important and so wise and uh, breaks my heart a little bit that. Something happens to that. It gets, what, it gets crushed out of us or somehow we stifle it. What do you think that's about?
1: Ooh, I mean, this has been a challenge of mine, you know, sending my kids to school. Yeah. I am a huge fan of public schools. I was raised by um, a public educator and You know, I sometimes describe it as, like, watching your kid be domesticated. I don't know. (laughs) Um, That, you know, I'm so grateful because my kids are both really well-behaved at school. But there's, like, something about that that makes me sad because they're really wild (laughs) (laughs) at home. And I want them to feel, like, free. You know, to be... Themselves at school, but at the same time, I'm really grateful that they're not too disruptive, you know, you know, we do have to interact with each other. Um, I think that. I do think that there is a way that. We start to redefine what learning looks like (laughs) as we get older and so that learning no longer is you playing with Legos or, you know, my daughter has a stick that she is taking everywhere with her called tree right now. Uh Um, she decorated it with Um, (laughs) band-aids. And so, you know, like that imaginative sort of play is no longer seen as, um, and and to kind of go with a problematic view, maybe that we have goal setting and planning, it's no longer productive.
0: Yes. Yeah. There you go.
1: Because we start associating, and I mean, we see this um, intensely in higher ed, that learning is done in the service of earning. Uh
0: Uh-huh. Oh, shivers.
1: Yeah. And, you know, um, I think that we also get embarrassed, I think, by play. You know, I'm taking this uh, dance class right now. And I want to, um, uh, well, that's a fixed mindset. I'll, uh, I don't think of myself usually as a dancer. I'm not particularly coordinated in a formal dance sense, but it's just they play music and you're like happy elbows and twinkle fingers. And, oh, and it's so delightful. And I was, and it's, I mean, my teacher is so talented. Danny um, creates such a welcoming space. But like I try to describe this to other people and you just sound like a weirdo. You're like, <laughs> you know, we basically hop around and like have happy elbows and, you know, and then step right and left and I, sometimes yeah, together yeah. and sometimes not. And, and, you know, I do just think that there's like social norms that over time, you know, they exist. To help create order, but in that creation of order, I think they also, like you said, sort of dim something in us. Yeah, yeah.
0: So uh, I will begin to turn the corner to winding us down here, Danielle. What a delight this has been. Um, uh, So two more questions, and you can pick or choose or do them both if you like. Uh, The title of the podcast, of course, is Pause, Purpose, Possibility. How in your life and work now does any or all of those manifest? Uh, What do pause, purpose, and or possibility look like for you at this point in your life? And then the second question would be, um, we try to end each episode with some kind of big question, something to take with you to continue to reflect on, and a practice or action step for folks to take with them beyond. Mm -hmm. So do you have any thoughts about, given where our conversation has gone today, uh, uh, thoughts about a big question and or a practice uh, that we can gift to folks? before they move on to next week's episode.
1: Absolutely. And
0: again, you can you can pick or choose or tackle them both. There was a lot of stuff there all at once.
1: I'll try to tackle them both but concisely. Okay. So, um I think that pause, purpose, and possibility are ever present in my life right now much in part to um getting to learn from you <laughs> and I think that they're all so immersed, right? That in order for me to understand what my purpose is, I need to pause. And in order for possibilities to merge, I need to pause. I'm in a place in my life where I think I am learning the generative power of pause. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And again, that goal setting and planning can be done in the service of pausing. Mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think that we always think of those things as always about um, about action or about doing, but that we can use both of those things to intentionally pause, not do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess connected to that, the question that I would leave with people is, you know, what are you deeply yearning for? Mm. Where is there a deep yearning? And to give yourself, you know, permission to feel that. And to imagine what it would be to step in to that yearning. As something that is possible. And then in terms of an action step, I'll give something incredibly practical. One of my favorite practices is to have something called a daily top 3. And mm-hmm. this is where you simply in the morning write down three things that are the most important or most um that you most yearn to do for that day. And this is a little different than just a to-do list. This is different than like what is on your agenda, if you will. You know, and it can be a to-do or it could be a to-be, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um you know, uh, and one of the reasons that I like this practice so much is over time, you collect these little tidbits, these little nuggets of things that you have named as what you're yearning for, or what is important to you, and to look for patterns. So, you know, do it for two weeks and then go, where are the patterns? Uh-huh. Oh, Am I listing, you know, am I saying that my family is one of my biggest priorities? Why is my family hardly on my top 3? What do what's going on there? How do I get curious about that? Mm, mm. Um it's a really wonderful way to start paying attention, if you will, to what you're prioritizing. And how that aligns with your purpose. And are, you know, are those things in step with what your possibilities are? (laughs) And so, you know, I would say start with a daily top three.
0: Again, beautiful. I am so grateful, Danielle. Thank you for this time. Thanks for the wisdom. Thanks for the glow that you bring to the world and your work and your, uh, your kids, to your friends. Uh, this has been such a joy.
1: Thank you. I always glow a little more after talking with you.
0: (laughs) Play in the snow. You bet. (laughs) Thank you, Danielle.
1: Thank you, Chris.